Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in. You know, every week here on the podcast, we try to bring you a church leader who will both inspire and equip you. But today, we've got two, two for the price of one, friends. Super excited to have a return guest. Would you know when we have return guests? That means that I love what they have to say. I want to expose them to you. We're 600 episodes in. We have only done a handful of return guests. So super excited for that. You need to lean in today. We've got Sean and uh, Sonny Hennessy from a fantastic church, Life Church in Wisconsin. Sean is the senior pastor. He's an international guest speaker, author, blogger. He's a chaplain to the Green Bay Packers. Are you a shareholder though? That's the real question. And the co-founder of the exchange. Uh, and then we've got Sunny. She's a lead pastor at Life Church Green Bay uh, and is the CEO of the Exchange brand. Together, they co-host a podcast called The Rise After the Fall, speaking really to church leaders uh, who have taken a step too far, who have fallen, and really about this whole area of pastoral restoration. Sunny, Sean, welcome to the show. So glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. This and is- yes, I am a shareholder, actually. Oh, you are. Okay. I yes. wondered. That's great. Wow. Yes. I'm not sure what that means. Like, I don't know. Does that mean you're like someday you can, if they sell, you get money? Is that what that means? I don't There's know. No, no monetary impact. You can go once a year to the shareholders meeting and you can listen with 75,000 or so of your closest <laughs> friends to what's going to happen. <laughs> Love it. That's uh, that's so good. Sonny, why don't we start with you kind of filling out the, the picture a little bit, kind of talk to us about Life Church. give us the kind of bring us up to speed on that, uh, to kind of tell us a little bit of the, the of your story, how, you know, how Life Church is and give us a bit of that picture. Well, we've been at Life Church almost 10 years in Green mm-hmm. Bay, Wisconsin, of course, and we find it to be the greatest work we've ever done when it comes to ministry. And it came after a meteoric rise and a fall. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we almost lost our marriage, uh, i.e. we both messed up enough (laughs) to to Mm -hmm. almost walk away Mm -hmm. from our marriage. And Mm -hmm. it's after that that we saw God do the most in our life, uh, Life Church. We basically like relaunched it 10 years ago with mm-hmm. uh, about 80 people and mm-hmm. a little building. And we were three times on the fastest growing churches in America outreach list. One year is mm-hmm. the second fastest growing. So literally it has been a ride. And then the pandemic mm-hmm. hit and we were able to really sit back, lean back and say, what do we want the next 10 years to look like? Well, we want to be mm-hmm. pastors, but we also want to help pastors who thought their life was over at the time of the fall, their fall, Mm -hmm. their step back Mm -hmm. and realize it's not the end. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's never the end with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. So I, um, I, it seems like for about a year, I had everyone who I knew in ministry said to me, Hey, 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 have you, and I already knew where it was going. They're like, have you listened to that Mars Hill podcast? Like, have you heard about that conversation? It's like, I feel like I couldn't get away from it. And, um, you know, I had friends that were on the team there. And so actually, to be honest, I haven't listened to it because I'm like, listen, I was, 
I knew people in the midst of all that. And so I was like, I didn't really want to relive it all. Uh, but I think anybody who's listening in has a clear, at least idea around, you know, kind of all the situation that happened there. But the, you've, Sean, taken this kind of position with your podcast called The Rise After the Fall, which is, like you say, not a rebuttal against that, but really talking about, well, what what happens when, you know, a, a leader falls? Talk to me about your heart behind that. What what led you to say, yeah, this, this is the conversation we need to be having? Well, we came to the game late in the... Mm-hmm. The rise after uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. I had heard a lot of people talk about it, and I'm a, I was a huge Mark Driscoll fan. Mm-hmm. I loved his books, loved his messages. I actually, I, I really felt like I had a kindred spirit to him, mm-hmm. in so many ways, in the way that I viewed leadership, and uh, and then I listened to the podcast, and I realized I didn't have a kindred spirit with him. Right, and there were a lot mm-hmm. of things that I heard in that podcast that broke my heart so deeply and we're not only connected here in green bay we've we're deeply connected in seattle and that church mm-hmm. for a period of time changed that city absolutely and then it changed it again and mm-hmm. that was the thing that really prompted me i think to do a group of talks about people who are struggling with their position in ministry and the thing that really resonated with me about that podcast was the number Mm -hmm. of opportunities that the leadership who are on that podcast, who are trying to pick up the pieces, reached out and extended an olive branch Mm -hmm. for restoration that was, that was denied for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's so many pastors who are either in the midst of a fall Mm -hmm. or in danger of a fall, who, whether it be pride or fear, Mm-hmm. Don't reach out to somebody or respond to somebody. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because they don't feel like they have someone who they can go to. Like if you're a senior pastor, you, mm-hmm. it's difficult to go to your denomination because you feel like maybe you'll lose your livelihood. Pastors mm-hmm. aren't very marketable outside of churches. <laughs> like yes. I mean, we could go sell <laughs> shoes at Nordstrom, but what else? Yes. Are, we have you have your degree in Bible, yes. and so yes. there's not a lot of stuff that you can do, and so. That's a positive, but it's also a negative in the fact that if you're on staff at a church and mm-hmm. you feel like you're about to go through a fall, it's difficult mm-hmm. to go to your senior pastor because you wonder if you're going to lose, again, your livelihood. And so this this program, it's not just a podcast for us. Mm-hmm. It's a complete restoration program and process where one of the things that we want to offer to people is actually a financial incentive to walk mm-hmm. away for a year. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, I want to dig into that. Uh, before we get there, would you guys be open to opening up and talking about your own kind of restoration journey? I would love to hear a little bit about that. Maybe Sean, we'll start with you. And then Sonny, I'd love to hear kind of, I, I know that's like, tell us about that in two minutes or less, like good luck with that. But like, yeah, to kind of give us a bit of the framework of your own, how you come to this, this whole topic of restoration. Well, I came to faith late. I came to faith in my early 20s, I had had a roller coaster of a life. I came from a rough background and mm-hmm. uh, was playing football on a scholarship and got arrested for mm-hmm. robbery, got sentenced to 15 years in the state pen, served wow. 111 days. I got off because of overcrowding, ended up at a little Christian school in North Dakota. It was an Assembly of God Bible school. I didn't know it until I got there. And one of the things that I discovered in ministry is if you have talent, many times your lack of integrity is overlooked. Mm. 
as long as you can perform, you don't have to live your life up to a, a certain standard as long as you don't make the overarching entity look bad. And I lived my life in that. I lived my life with having a lot of natural ability. I, mm. I've never been afraid in front of a crowd. I've never not had anything to say. I've always had a magnetic personality. I've always drawn people even before I was a Jesus follower. And everything mm. that Sonny and I ever did in ministry, it felt like we had the Midas touch. Mm. And and in the midst of that, we we were never forced to deal. I was never forced to deal with the lack of integrity that I had in my life. And I also was never forced to deal with the excessive amount of pride that I had in my life. And so every time I would be blessed, my ego would be puffed up. And mm-hmm. finally, after you know almost 15 years in the ministry, it was it. And I, I got to a place where my talent took me, as the old adage would say, that my, my character couldn't keep me. And it didn't only affect me, it affected the people in the church we were leading at the time. It affected Sonny, it affected our kids. And it was, as we say in our beginning of our podcast, we had a meteoric rise and we had a devastating fall. (laughs) Sonny, I'd love to hear your kind of how you plug into that story. Sean and I both went right into ministry after being called to ministry. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we were passionate and we do everything still very passionately. We go Mm -hmm. 180% (laughs) in and 180 miles per hour. And so we just got, fell in love with Jesus and just did ministry. So at home, the emotional baggage or how we saw our parents be married and fight and yell and not hit each other, but fight and yell. We just did that. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it was for both sides. The way we um, saw people that we admired spend money, we spent money, even if it meant tons of credit card debt. And so we're being bogged down, not by we were out having affairs, you know, no, by we would go to church and do it so well. And that was our everything and come home and take everything out on each other, overspend, then be overstressed, uh, treat each other poorly, um, And it just, that never gets better. It just increases and increases. And pretty soon we'd be like, man, today we had a good day. We didn't fight. And then we, well, at 10 a.m. we did. Oh, that's true. But hey, most of the day, we like, that's a Mm. terrible marriage to live in. And then we took over a church that had a, a pastor who had had financial indiscretions before us, but we didn't know that. We took on a mess. And that really started to cripple us in our ministry now, plus what was happening at home. And you don't make good decisions when you're weary and mm. you, you tend to find pride in things that you are successful at. Mm. And then that covers the things that you're unsuccessful in and, mm. and makes those actually worse in the dark. And so we had gone to people before about our marriage or marriage conferences. The reality was we didn't have a marriage issue. We had never dealt with past abuses in our childhood uh, past bullying in our childhood. Mm. Uh, we were, we were not emotionally healed because we had never considered true therapy for ourselves. Mm. We didn't have a marriage problem. We had a Sean and Sunny problem. Then we got in, in a house and then we were really bad roommates. And usually Mm. you can move out from the roommate you have in college and you just are like, I'm done with them. We couldn't really do that, but we got to a point Mm. I moved out and Mm. then we, 
we had to submit at that point when I moved out and it was clear I was going to file for divorce, which I left mm-hmm. the ministry and the pressure as much as I left Sean, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Our marriage mm-hmm. wasn't that much worse, but the ministry was crippling us. And now with mm-hmm. a pandemic, we feel that weight. Uh, mm-hmm. I left both the ministry and Sean. And when our denomination found that out, it was clear we can't continue this way. Um, mm-hmm. And we rightfully both lost our credentials. Uh, and it was a turning point that we didn't have a reputation to uphold anymore. It was devastated and Mm. we fell all the way. And we Mm. talk about that on our podcast is that you Mm. have to fall all the way. And those who truly get healed and whole are the ones that did fall all the way. So there's pastors that there's a current pastor right now that there's indiscretions coming out from 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, we, I believe that the Bill Hybels story, it was mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, Robbie two decades. Yeah, it was it like was 20 years. Ago. Yeah, yeah. we're not yeah. talking like just deal with it when it comes out in the news today. We're talking mm-hmm. if you don't fall all the way, then you do 10 more years of ministry after you mm-hmm. were sexually inappropriate with someone. That's mm-hmm. not okay. And, mm-hmm. and so we want to be there, not just for those who are currently like mud on their face, but those who who need help and it's not yet exposed. Yeah. And how yeah, can we it. help you that we don't expose you, but you truly fall all the way mm-hmm. and then we step yeah. in and help. Yeah. I love this. So I, I've, um, for folks that know me, you know, I've been whatever, two and a half, I guess it's almost three decades and I have to say three decades. That seems like a long time to be in ministry, but it's been, you know, in that second seat, you know, that executive pastor seat, that's where I've spent most of my time. And one of the unique kind of power dynamics that I've seen, and I've worked for incredible lead pastors. I love the folks. They all happen to be guys. They're just great guys. And, but one of the things I've said to all of them is they don't have peers. Like they don't have people like even as close as I would say, um, I would be when I'm still with, with, you know, these folks, like they're, they're not my peer. Like they are the, as the leaders of the organization, it's a fascinating place to be. Um, what, a, and I feel terrible for folks, particularly in that seat. I think they do carry a unique, pressure. Sean, help us understand this kind of scale or or common areas where you're seeing kind of pastoral, you know, falls where we're seeing like, Hey, this just isn't working out, um, where people are stepping over the line. What are the kinds of things that, um, you know, that people are either talking to you about, or you've, you know, you've engaged with, um, you know, as you've, you know, just as you think about this whole area. Well, I think there's probably two main ones that people would naturally think about. They'd think about obviously some sort of a sexual impropriety or Mm -hmm. some sort of a financial impropriety. Mm -hmm. And I think actually the the biggest part is the things that people are hiding, the things that they're struggling with that uh, maybe they're embarrassed about. The things Mm -hmm. that that we don't learn, let's say, in seminary, like you don't Mm -hmm. learn how Mm -hmm. to deal with you know, being a person who sits in that first seat, you're not taught Mm -hmm. in seminary how to deal with a multi-million dollar budget. And so when you, when you start to grow as a church, you're excited about this growth, but then you're also insecure about the fact that when you go into a meeting of, let's say board members, you're, you're not the smartest person in the room when it comes to that. And so a lot of times we're trying to fake it until Mm -hmm. we make it. And so we do that in so many different aspects of our life, whether that be in relationships or whether that be in Mm -hmm. things that we're allowing ourselves to view on -hmm. our phones. There's instant access Mm -hmm. to everything nowadays. And and Mm -hmm. so 
I think where where people are failing the most is in the prevention of all of these things in in admitting or identifying the areas where they are weak, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, let's say you're you have a weakness with a member of the opposite sex. Well, you have mm-hmm. you have to have people in your life who know that, right? And then you have right. to have those people with you. Mm-hmm. at all times possible. So if you're on a Sunday and you know that you're going to have some mm-hmm. sort of your eyes are going to wander, well, make sure that you've got somebody who's with you at all times. You're not just wandering the halls, letting your eyes wander. If you have a problem <laughs> sure. with money, yep. then you've got to let somebody know about that so that they can be performing these checks and balances on you. But we're so we're so afraid to admit that we have some sort of a deficit in any area of our life Yes. That we don't put the safeguards in our life. And so I think mm-hmm. back to the question at hand is I think the biggest area that people fall is in the admission of where they're weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. So, Sonny, I, I want to describe a situation. You know, I don't think anybody who starts in ministry says, hey, I'm going to be the person that's going to train wreck my marriage. I'm going to train wreck the church over any of these issues. Like they, nobody, we all think it's going to be somebody else, right? We all are like, I'm pretty sure that person, but not me, you know, uh, which could be part of the problem. But, you know, there's this um, terrible, nasty part of sin where it, it, at least in my own life, it like can eke its way in. It's like very subtle at the beginning. It's these small steps where I like make a small compromise and, you know, a little compromise, little compromise, little compromise. And then eventually at some point you step over a line, you step, you go beyond a place where it's now no longer, Hey, I've got a problem with money. I now have done something that I shouldn't have done with money at the church. Now I maybe haven't like it's not like, uh, you know, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, kind of like I bought four houses and a Lamborghini, but like I stepped over something. Um, what do I do? How, how do, who do I go and talk to? How do I, how, how do I start that conversation, Sonny? Where do I, where do I go when I, when something like that happens? Cause I think that that issue I think is happening to, if it hasn't happened to a hundred percent of the leaders, it's real close to a hundred percent of the leaders that are listening in. Mm-hmm. Well, there, like Sean said, when we know that we could go to that one directly above us who writes our paycheck or mm-hmm. the board or the denomination who approves mm-hmm. that we stay as the lead pastor, mm-hmm. that is a scary a scary point to get to. Just like it's scary for people to go to marriage counseling sometimes mm-hmm. until someone asks for a divorce. It's like, mm-hmm. we could have done this sooner, but that that's the scariest part. So I, I do believe that the reason we have a heart for the exchange collaborative and it being for mm-hmm. all people, pastors who are in any denomination is because mm-hmm. like we had a youth pastor reach out to us from San Diego. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go to his pastor. I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, obligated to go to his pastor. We're not trying to hire him. We're not mm-hmm. trying to do something that would hurt the church, but he came to us in confidence. We helped him. He was mm-hmm. overwhelmed. They're not able to mm-hmm. pay the bills. Mm-hmm. When you can't pay the bills and you're a pastor, this is where you're a youth pastor and you can't. And he said, we're having a hard time buying diapers and wet ones. Wow. What's that $20 bill that the cafe brought in this Wednesday? What's Mm. that going to matter? I'll put this back next week with my paycheck. And it starts there. And he Mm. didn't say that, but that's the risk we're, we're taking. And I heard this recently that from a rabbi, a messianic rabbi, Sean and I Mm. are very 
much um, into a messianic Jewish context of, of the mm-hmm. Bible. And, and so we've been listening and this one messianic rabbi said, an unbroken leader is a dangerous leader mm-hmm. and that great leaders walk with a limp. Well, what Sean just talked about, the, the first step is admission. If we'll admit mm-hmm. it and admit I'm broken, I, I need some help because that 20 is a big deal or that mm-hmm. text to my, my worship leaders, you know, who's a female, that's a mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. That's the first step in admitting, admitting we're broken. Because I think all of these pastors, especially the ones who have fallen recently that were the head of many churches. Mm-hmm. Wow. You just, you saw them as a Billy Graham, even like they're going to mm-hmm. get through the end of their life, but they, they obviously had never been fully broken. They were trying mm-hmm. to carry this load and say, I am not a broken leader, but mm-hmm. we, we have to be broken. And, mm-hmm. you know, the money and the sex and all of the stuff we're talking about, it's not really the problem. You know, Sean had a pastor's wife um, that we worked for say, Sean, Here's some ministry advice. Keep your hand out of the offering and sleep with your own wife and you'll be fine. But (laughs) but that's great advice. But like, why does someone not end up following through? It could be because at 14, you were sexually messed with and your Mm -hmm. whole concept of sexuality has shifted. And now you want to control anything sexual. And so you find you do things that are, that are wrong. There's always a root cause. And and so our hope is not just to say, Hey, come to us before you fall or after you fall and we'll be a, a listening ear and we'll keep it confidential. We actually take people through a program that forever changed Sean and I, I said mm-hmm. before, we didn't have a marriage problem. We had a Sean problem and Sunny problem that stemmed from when Sean was in first grade and I was in I was six years old. And then the things that happened over the course of our childhood that created the problems for us in ministry that really looked like they had nothing to do with ministry. Hmm. Yeah. So Sean, why don't you kind of frame up uh, the different, I know there's a, there's a lot that you do to help people, but kind of give us a sense of the scale of, of, of what you're doing, how, what you're offering, how you interface with this, um, you know, beyond being a listening year, uh, what kind of organizationally, what does that look like? Yeah. And I, I would say that we're really designed, not we're really designed for somebody who's at a point where they want help, right? Somebody who you have to ask yourself, do I want restoration or preservation? And so we're not in the, we're not in the preservation business primarily. We're not, for that guy who's trying to save face. We're for a guy who wants to walk his life in repentance. And when we had our fall, one of the things that we had to go through is we had to go through a program in Colorado with a guy named Dr. Harry Schomburg called Stonegate Resources. And I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was just going to be a counseling program, but basically he made us read John Piper 12 hours a day so that we could remember what repentance was. And it was, it was a breaking and so we're really a place for somebody who's at a point where they're not trying to save face in their ministry. They're trying to get back to the, to the root cause of why we became a follower of Jesus. This idea of I once was lost, but now I'm found. And this, this breaking of your heart and your spirit when, when you first heard that message of the gospel. And so, yes, we are listening here. We do want to be a place where people feel we are safe to come to, but it's really two different 
um, arms, if you would. And, mm. and so one could be uh, a route for somebody who is in danger of having a fall. And we give them some steps to avoid that. We give them some sense and sort of accountability so that they can avoid some of the pitfalls that we and many of the other people that we've been blessed to work with have not avoided. Uh, and then it's for the person who has fallen and they have mm-hmm. to walk away. And that was Sonny and I, like I mm-hmm. left the ministry. And when I left the ministry, Sonny left the ministry too. And I was unemployed for six months. I was, mm-hmm. I was a blogger, which basically was my prideful way of saying I was unemployed. Right. I could right. not find a job. I wrote yes. a blog that no one read. And so I was a stay-at-home dad and I made lunches and we didn't have cable or internet or heat in our house. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Rich, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it it stripped me down to the bare metal so that we could reforge forward without any sense or symbol of success. And so if it were somebody who's fallen, we do have an opportunity for them to come here to Green Bay and uh, and live in the city for a year and go through an intense restoration process. And it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. We're honest and we're open. And we want guys to understand that this is, uh, it is a loving hand, but it is an honest hand. And so we do have some, we do have some businesses here that down the road, during their restoration, they could plug in and work at those, plug in and just sit in the church. It would be beautiful if for the first 30 days that they were here, they mm-hmm. don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And that that's the thing that requires us to fund this ministry so that yep. people and their spouse can come here and bring their kids and not have to worry about, I've got to go get a job at the grocery store bagging groceries and they're going to have an mm-hmm. opportunity to just sit and defragment. Some of these guys haven't read the Bible or girls haven't read the Bible for their mm-hmm. own personal reflection in years because they've just been mining it for messages. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this opportunity to uh, sit and refresh for a period of time, then we want to put them through the Enneagram. Let's find out what you are. What's your personality type? What are your, what are your mm-hmm. spiritual gifts? How many people don't even know what their spiritual gifts are? Yeah. And then put them through kind of a hybrid version of financial peace. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people don't know how to deal with their money. They right. it, Or they may not have any money. And uh, a hybrid version because it's a little bit difficult in our day and age to never use a card. And I mm-hmm. get Ramsey's heart behind that but you know yes. go lots of places now you can't use cash i tried to use cash somewhere the other day and the person looked at me like i was an alien like right. i was trying what to planet hand are them, you from like like i was trying to hand them paper COVID or something and they yes so we only take <laughs> cards and then this restoration process where the basis of our process is and, and if you put it in the the secular terminology every person at some point has had some sort of a trauma where they mm-hmm. were fixated my brother's mm-hmm. a my brother's a psychologist. He actually lives in mm-hmm. Fort Erie, Ontario, oh, and nice. <laughs> uh, he's a professor at Buffalo State. And mm-hmm. and in the secular world, they would call it fixation, where once you've been fixated on a certain moment in your life, you're emotionally not able to mature more than 18 months beyond that point. Meaning that when you come to another moment of trauma, and anytime you come to a moment of trauma thereafter, 
you revert emotionally back to that particular point. Hmm. In the spiritual world, it was called we're arrested in development, right? And so every time you come into a point of trauma, you are triggered back to that moment. So back to Sonny's point where I was in first grade, when I identified my moment of fixation or when I was arrested in Hmm. development. And so for the rest of my life up until the point that I received restoration and healing, any time that I had anyone challenge me on anything, I would at best act like a third grader. And so I would yell and I would pout and I would hide things and I would lie. And and if you don't understand that somebody's acting like a third grader, then you just think, you know, what a mm-hmm. creep. But when you understand in this context, and when Sonny and I began to understand where we were arrested mm-hmm. in development through through the restoration process which is not quick i mean the program is a number of months and then it it really what happens is once you identify that moment of trauma it unlocks in your brain and you know it's like the renewing of the mind and they've done brain Mm. scans where once that was identified the neurons then rush to that area of your brain and and you supernaturally begin to mature at a rapid rate, but it does take your brain three years to fully rewire itself. And so it is a a continual process, but there's so much healing that happens almost instantly. And so as Sonny and I went through that process, we were able to identify with each other. I would go, oh, well, I'm right now, Sonny is... X, Y, Z, or she'd say, well, Sean's right now, Sean's in the third grade and it didn't make it okay, but it made it relatable. And so that's the biggest bulk Mm -hmm. of the program is helping these pastors identify. Yes, you have a money problem, but you know, when I went through the beginning stages of my restoration process, I went through Emerge, you know, in Ohio Mm -hmm. and the counselor that I talked to, he looked at me and at the time I was dealing with a financial issue. And, and he said something that was so eye-opening to me. He said, you know, money's not your issue. It's the symptom of your issue. He said, if you don't identify the root of what your issue is, mm-hmm. you're going to move from money to something else. It'll be pornography. Right. It'll be an affair. It'll be food. It'll be gambling. It'll be something. And mm-hmm. so for us, if we can help these guys and, and girls figure out what it was that threw them off track, and they may have been six years old. And then mm-hmm. let's reverse engineer how to get that back. And and for me, honestly, Rich, the goal isn't to get people back in ministry. Right. If they want right. to go back in ministry, then that's great. But I really want people to be healthy and whole. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I want them to go to heaven. Yes, yes. Yeah, Sonny, let's talk about that restoration piece. You know, with the folks that have come through your program, what is the, you know, trajectory. Like, obviously I love the part of what I love about you guys is I love your focus on like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All that other stuff, but let's actually talk about where you're at, your relationship with Jesus. Who are you as a person? That's the most important piece. I know there's people that are listening in that are, that are thinking like either I've stepped on a bomb and it's about to blow up or it blew up and no one knows. And they're thinking about the future. Talk through, you know, what is the trajectory on people being restored? It feels like I was in a conversation earlier today with a leader who said, I feel like we used to restore people to ministry, but that doesn't happen anymore. Like it's like, we just flush them out and then they they never end up back. So give us a sense of kind of what are you seeing with the folks that you're working with, Sonny? Right. There are, 
different needs because everybody's individual, obviously. So there's those that need to come more in residence, like, like Mm -hmm. Sean talked about, come and we house them. We get them a job. We have them Mm -hmm. be in church sitting there. We have them go through what, what is called journey to wholeness. And that would be a 10 week course once a week. That's the take it for 10 weeks and you're processing as you go. And then you probably take it again, especially if you're with us for a year. There's also the people that we fly to them and we sit with them because they're not able to leave and come to us for 30 days or a year. We go to them and we've done that where we've gone to a pastor, worked with a pastor while they're staying in their church or staying in their congregation Mm -hmm. if they're a messianic rabbi. And and we work with them and their children and their family. And then we bring out uh, the Journey to Wholeness uh, co-founder to do these intensives because she is so great. And she's the top of the Journey to Wholeness of, of all the people who are helping people just in our church she can go and take this to other cities and has. Uh, then we have something that's even more approachable. And she's done intensives, like a two mm-hmm. to three day weekend, either mm-hmm. going to the people. She's been to mm-hmm. Dallas, Seattle, mm-hmm. soon to be Arizona, um, mm-hmm. or people can come to us for a weekend in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. So then the third thing, and we're actually just going to do this for the it's kind of the first time that we're advertising it. We've done this multiple times. It's mm-hmm. an intensive in a location where we're giving the dates and we're opening it up to people we may not know. So June 23rd through the 25th in Golden Canyon, Arizona, just outside of Phoenix, we're hosting it at Living Waters Retreat. They're sponsoring it and donating this for us to use because they see the need for pastors. Uh, So it would be for pastors or probably hopefully couples who, um, who will be able to register on our website. And, you know, at this point, we think we're going to have to close it off because it's better when it's smaller. So mm-hmm. you're actually the first time we've said this publicly, June 25th, oh, nice. 25th the Exchange yeah. Collaborative will be hosting this intensive where um, it's a two-day, two-and-a-half-day um, process. And like I said, then there's also the option that we – are contacted directly through our website at theexchangecollaborative.com. And then we go to pastors, uh, to churches. I mean, they could say, look, we need this between myself and my spouse. That's it. Or it could be, can you come in and meet with me? My board knows, or Mm -hmm. I'm, like I said, a youth pastor. Can, can you come in and talk to me? But only my senior pastor knows. Um, Mm -hmm. And some it's all over the headlines. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we hope that some of those people will even reach out. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is great. So I want to, uh, there's a lot of love to talk to you. I do want to come back, make sure we give out those website addresses again. So friends, if you didn't catch them, get your pen. We will come back to that. Um, Sean, what can we do in our churches to create the kind of environment where people are willing to raise their hand? So I'm thinking about, you know, I'm an executive pastor listening in, got a staff team of 15 people. Yeah, I'm. I may be worried. I'm not worried about my lead pastor in the sense of like, oh, I'm worried something went wrong. But I'm like, let's assume that 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 person's got their stuff together. But I'm thinking about the other 15 people on our team. What can we do to create the kind of culture where people are willing to to open up about like, hey, this this is this is an area of my life that's going off the rails? Or what should I do if I'm if I want to create the kind of place where that that could happen? Any any ideas about that, Sean? Well, in our personal context, we just created a culture of vulnerability right? where it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. And if you can't admit that you're not okay, you'll never become okay. You'll never get the help. Mm 
And so, of course, for us, we have the luxury that it does come from the top down. But if mm-hmm. nothing else, you've got to gather with somebody who you know, somebody who you who you can trust, who you can be vulnerable with, who who you can trust. And so once we start to own the things that are a deficiency in our life with with the attitude, I think there was a phase where where people wanted to be relevant. But really what that meant is they wanted to be crass. And so I don't think that we're looking for that to where a guy can borderline brag about the fact that he drinks beer or that he, you know, cusses or, you know, whatever that there was that culture there in the in the late 90s where it was like, how far can you go? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, hey, I'm struggling with anger. Mm -hmm. Have any of you struggled with anger? Oh, bro. Yeah, totally. I, str- I struggle with anger all the time. Well, how do you deal with that? And it's not like you have to bear your whole soul, but you can start out with just some of those general, I'm not going to get fired over them things and lay down a foundation among your team mm-hmm. where like, if you are the executive pastor, maybe you're holding committee meetings and in those things, you'll use them as prayer requests. I mean, I, I think we still pray for each other. Yes. <laughs> and this idea of, I mean, do we really want to pray for each other? It's like the old adage where people say, you know, how you doing? Do you really want to know? Right, right. We've sure, got to create sure. an environment where we really do want to know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and we want to. And if I can add, during this pandemic, mm-hmm. Sean and I cried in front of our staff. And I had a lot of regrets. I'd walk away and look at him and go, boy, I blew that. And I'm not a good leader. Our staff, and we had attrition, we had some staff that I think went, wow, we thought they were healthy and whole and on the rise after their last ball. And mm. they're they're kind of acting like they don't know what to do, you know, mm. in the middle of a pandemic. And maybe they're not the leaders we thought they were. They don't have character issues now, but they're just not mm. very strong. And I think it can mm-hmm. like unnerve some people who've put you on a pedestal. But honestly, mm-hmm. we both cried. We both wrung our fists and didn't know what to do. And mm-hmm. and then we saw our staff say, I literally am just hanging on. I have so much anxiety. Right. Five years ago, none of our staff would have thought I'm having anxiety and I need to say something about it. We also mm-hmm. do journey to wholeness. It's a journey to wholeness is a course we do with our staff. And if we have too many staff members that have come on since the last time, we'll redo Journey to Wholeness. Sean and I have done Journey to Wholeness three times now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we would do it again. And we could offer that to churches. Journey to Wholeness is now coming into corporations and their Mm -hmm. HR departments bringing them in to work with the staff so that they quit losing staff who just can't handle the pressure, but they have issues from childhood. Love it. This has been incredible. There's so much we could talk about here. I feel like we're just scratching the surface. Like you're just like, gosh, there's so many other things I'd love to uh, to dive in. But I do uh, want to respect your time. I know you guys have got a lot going on, so I appreciate you being here today. Uh, why don't we give ladies the last word? So, Sunny, what uh, what do you want to say as we wrap up, as we kind of t- close off today's episode, uh, as we're kind of kind of try to tie this stuff up here? Mm-hmm. Well, I think trust is a big thing to say, hey, I need help, but can I trust these people? For sure, it would be important that you listen to a couple of our Rise After the Fall podcasts on any of the Mm -hmm. platforms, just so Mm -hmm. people can get an understanding of not just Sean and I, but the path and the process we're talking about. Uh, Mm -hmm. They can go to theexchangecollaborative.com, which 
talks both to leaders and it talks to pastors. I don't, um, and at that point they can also register for the retreat in Arizona. If that gets full, our hope Mm -hmm. would be to add more, but as they will see, there are both, we come to you, you come to us, how much and what is the commitment level. And we definitely are not trying to form some structure that is immovable. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not a one size fits all, but the, the basics of what Sean just talked about, those are musts, right? We have to get to the root. We have to get to um, the fixation point. And we think that's, that's the biggest key to all of this. Really. Mm-hmm. Love it. Sean, Sonny, I've really appreciated you being here today. Sean, where do we want to send people online? Let's give them the website addresses and stuff again, where we want them to connect. If they're, you know, I'm hoping there's people that are saying like, ah, man, I need to reach out to these folks and have this, start this conversation. Where do we want to send them? Yeah, the exchangecollaborative.com. Our podcast is, on, as Sunny said, on all platforms, The Rise After the Fall. Our church website is lifechurchgreenbay.com. We're actually just now starting a series called The Rise After the Fall, where I've got five pastors coming in who had failures and came back from them. They had uh, incredible success after a fall. And so the exchangecollaborative.com, lifechurchgreenbay.com. And then the rise after the fall on any of your platforms. Great. Well, we'll definitely make sure we link to all that. It'll be in the show notes. I want to encourage you to follow, uh, follow these guys, good friends, people that are doing great work. You're, you, uh, it's just been an honor that you would come back on uh, the podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, brother. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve, Uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting, we're hosting the betrayed, we're restoring the betrayer. Uh, And so now we have a campus to do that on a, a 20 acre property to do that on, as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. 
So it's 54,000 a month. Whew. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction, but what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground. But I feel, <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who, after having the money or praying for the money, and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, they gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And the, someone had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us, give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're gonna give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're gonna give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're gonna give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.